And for those of you who were not aware, um, I was away at National Youth Camp last weekend with some of our young people. We had an amazing time, an amazing time. And uh, everyone, I think, came back blessed. And I think there was over 350, 360 campers there for the long weekend over Easter, which was amazing. I think there was, I think, 11 people filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. And there was 58 people healed in the name of Jesus. One lady got up. She had had a bad knee for 17 years. And nobody even laid hands on her. He just prayed. She was healed. It was like, was it 58, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the number. 58 people lined up. Everyone healed from various things. Bad backs, bad knees, you know, sicknesses. It was amazing. Incredible time. But everyone expects me to say that because I'm the pastor, right? So I've actually done something a little different before I preach this morning. I've asked the young people who went to youth camp to come up and share for a couple of minutes each and what they thought about youth camp. Now, the question is, is who wants to go first? Sister Emily does. All right, Sister Emily, praise the Lord. Come on up here. You do have to use the microphone, yes. God bless you. I'm going to sit down. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, Before everything, I would like first to say thank you because I went for the youth camp. I would like to say thank you to the person who paid for me the plane ticket. I don't know the person, but I would like to say thank you. Yeah, because it was really a blessing. It was just wonderful. I don't know how to explain it, but it was something like, you know, they call you in the presence of the Lord and you can't just explain it. It was just so powerful. Something that I lacked there is praise and worship. You will see very young people going in front, jumping, praising the Lord like they don't even care. You will see young people going in front, crying, shouting. It was just so wonderful. And when it's worship time, everyone could pray and pray and pray nonstop. And sometimes the preacher would like to preach, but... There is no time to stop them. They were just crying and praying and, oh my God, I just don't know how to say it. It was just so powerful and it has added something to my life. I feel like I would like to praise Lord more and more. I would like to worship more and more. It has really changed my life in that point. I would just say, praise be the name of Jesus. Another thing, Pastor, I would like to say about the 58 people who who were healed in the camp, in the youth camp. It was like the preacher was preaching and he just said that if you feel like something is not right in your body, you come in front. And all the altar were full. People were there very full. And he just said that I'm not going to pray for you. I want to lay my hands on you. I want you to praise the Lord and worship him. And I know something is going to happen to you. And everyone started praising and worshiping. Then he said, I want like all the youth you put the hands on each other. So people were praying to each other and he just said like, I know that on the cross, Jesus said that everything is finished. And people pray, worshipped, worshipped. After that time, 58 people were healed just like that. And it was just so wonderful and I praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Next year is our regional youth camp, young people. So those young people who didn't go to National Youth Camp, 
Next year, we have a regional youth camp that's only about an hour's drive away. And I want all of our young people to go to regional youth camp. Amen? I think that would be great. I don't know what we'll do. We'll get a bus, see if Brother Kenneth can drive us because he's our resident bus driver. We'll do something, but we're going to get as many people to regional youth camp as we can and start saving up because I want to take a plane load. I want to like hire, I want to hire a charter jet. I want to go, go to Qantas and go, give me a whole jet. I need a whole jet because I'm flying everyone down. I'd like to. Let's do it. Just need to save up some money. I don't know what a jet plane costs, but we'll see. <laughs> My treasurer just went several shades white. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Who wants to go next? Israel, Sam, or Keru? Brother Sam. I actually wrote something because I, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it was a real blessing going there, and I'm, I really appreciate my mum giving me the opportunity to be able to go there because I didn't expect it to be like that. So, yeah, I would just like to thank God for the opportunity he gave me to be able to attend National Youth Camp in Sydney. It was an amazing weekend where we were spoken to by different men of God and where we were able to gain a relationship with God. The main preacher was Reverend Jackson from America. He had so much to share with us. Each session was so powerful. And, yeah, two key points I took away from the weekend is that God wants us to seek him with all our heart. Most of the time we go half-heartedly and expect to change. But he wants us to go wholeheartedly so that he can fulfill the purpose he has for our life. And we also tend to only want God with us when it's convenient for us. But that's not right. Um, Yeah, uh, we don't seek him daily and expect to change. We have to seek him daily so that we can build a relationship with him. Uh, personally, I enjoyed the camp as it was a prayer-filled environment where I could humble myself and cry out to him and seek him face-to-face. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend every youth here to attend the next youth camp, even if it's the regional one, as it was a real blessing for me, and I think it's a great experience for everyone. Yeah. I noticed he didn't brag about the fact that he uh, beat me in table tennis. <laughs> That's wise. <laughs> now, I think we're going to get a table tennis table for our youth group so that we can play table tennis. Sounds like fun, huh? All right. Who wants to go next? Keru. Sorry. Ladies first. Um, I didn't write anything. Um, youth camp was actually awesome for me, being the first time. Going there, and um, one, one um, what do you call it? One, one testimony he um, the preacher testified was um, he preached at one church and like he felt a mocking spirit, and um, God spoke to that preacher to tell him to come and um, repent, and um. But he only went to the front, but never actually like prayed, and then um, and then the preacher said, "If if you don't repent, then I will make you close your mouth." And then three weeks later, he got a phone call from the um, pastor of the church saying that he was in hospital with a tumor size of a golf ball in his brain. And then I think two or three weeks later, he passed away. And and like 
just being surrounded with young people who are actually, like, real for God and, like, who don't judge each other by, like, who they are and what they are. And, yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, Brother Jackson was preaching about the fact that so often we treat like coming to church as just a game, just something we do, not important. And, and that's what this guy was doing when he came to this sermon that Brother Jackson was preaching at a church he was visiting. And God told him, God pointed that man out and said, that man has a mocking spirit. Now, he didn't point him out from the pulpit. He didn't point him out and say, hey, you up the back there with the green shirt on, you need to repent. But he tried to get... He, he called and called and called for people to come to repent. And he came down the front because everyone came down the front. He didn't want to be the only one down there, but he never repented. He just, stayed, he just sat at the back of the crowd like that. And three weeks later, see, God told Brother Jackson. He, God said, gave him a word. And God said, tell him if he doesn't repent, I'm going to close his mouth for him. Because he was talking against the pastor, talking against the church, mocking everything that was going on. And... Um, he still didn't repent. And three weeks later, he passed away. It's not a game. This living for God is not a game. Either we're doing it or we're not. There's no real halfway measures with God. It doesn't work like that. Praise the Lord. Last, but by no means least, Brother Israel. Praise God. Yeah, I first thank the pastor. And my mom and dad to give me this opportunity to go to the youth camp. Uh, it was a great camp. We had fun. Uh, it was my first time to go to Sydney. Uh, I really visit a lot of places, but I feel like I reach everywhere. <laughs> like spiritually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I first liked one thing with the pastor who came from America. Uh, he said that. We, we're not supposed to wait for the pastor to tell us to come and worship. Because God, he doesn't give us, like, he's not there to beg us to worship him. Because he said, even if we don't worship him, he can tell the trees and the birds to worship him. Yeah, that's why every time the pastor was preaching, before even, actually, it was my first time to see the youth coming up and start worshiping. We didn't have even time to hear the pastor preaching because it was starting like 30 minutes or 20. Youth at the altar crying because he said that at first when we started the camp. Yeah, youth were still sitting, but he said that and all youth were like filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to, to encourage everyone. It's like we're not supposed to wait for the pastor to say, oh, let's come and praise. Let's come and worship. You just feel it inside you. Come and worship. Feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And youth were happy to come and worship. And all of us were filled by that. Yeah. Nobody knew what was happening. My brother Sam, Imani, and my sister, we all were there. And we were worshiping with the other. Uh, like the way she said, uh, we didn't have time to judge people by appearance and language and colors, but we are all the same in Jesus Christ. Amen. And apart from the spiritual part, we had fun, right? Yeah. Amen. We had to play, what's that, Pastor? The game we played that night, I think you have it. No, no, the one, uh, Soka Key. Man, it was, 
It was great. We were in the same team with Pasta, and they were pushing us every time, falling down. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And I just say maybe if we get the, another opportunity to go to the next one, first we have the regional one. All of you are welcome. All youth, let us go there to the next one. After two years, let's start saving. Now I have my bank account, open the net saver. It's just a side there. We're putting in not much. We have two years. It's a lot for you to save, and we're going to experience the next uh, power of the of Holy Spirit. Thank you. Oh, of course. <laughs> I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> amen, amen. There was once upon a time a church somewhere between the North and the South Pole where I was working with the young people, and the young people were disinterested in church. They didn't really, they came to church because mom and dad drug them. They weren't really involved. They, they loved God in their own way, but they, you know, they would just sit at the back on their phones during the preaching and stuff. And, you know, I first started looking after them as their youth leader, and I started saying, okay, we need to get to youth camp. Oh, youth camp, I don't want to go. But I kept yelling about it and talking to their parents and talking to them over and over and over again. I think some of them just came to youth camp because I wouldn't shut up about it. But when we got them all there... God got a hold of their lives, and they were so on fire for God, and that particular group of young people is still on fire for God. As a matter of fact, on the Sunday morning or the Saturday morning, my old youth group was getting out of bed at 6 a.m. while everyone was sleeping, not so they could play games, but so they could go pray in the auditorium before breakfast even started. That's on fire for God. That's what I want for our young people, amen. All you parents, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't have a huge amount to preach today. I've cut my message a little short because I wanted to give our young people an opportunity to testify. Because, you know, I can tell you young people that you should go to camp. But you all kind of feel like I have to tell you that because I'm the pastor. But when you hear it from young people that they felt like their lives were changed and that they are encouraging you to go, then that should encourage you some more. Amen? Amen. So like Brother Israel said, start uh, saving up your money now. Open up a net saver account. Put a little bit of money in every week. Don't touch it. Leave it there. Let it grow. And then when pastor stands up, in a year and a half's time, it says, right, National Youth Camp, you can go, hey, pastor, I've already booked my ticket. Sound like a plan? Praise the Lord. Well, do you love Jesus this morning? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Nehemiah. Preached from the book of Nehemiah before. It is one of my favorite books. I enjoy the book of Nehemiah. Thank you. The book of Nehemiah, 
We're going to read from chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1. Everyone say amen when you're there. Praise the Lord. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of that guy, Hakalacha. Let's go with that. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came. He and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Verse 4, And it came to pass when I heard those words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. I want to talk to you for just a little while this morning about this thought, a burden to build. A burden to build. Everyone say a burden to build. A burden to build. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. If you're sitting next to someone you don't know, why don't you say hello? Introduce yourself. We've got a few visitors here this morning. It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. For many years, the city of Jerusalem had sat vacant. Perhaps not vacant is the best word. It might as well have been. There was a few people living there. The maimed, the elderly, the outcasts, the people who had no use to the Babylonian Empire when they had come down to take them back to the city of Babylon. The down and outs, the outcasts, the undesirables, the ones that nobody really wanted. It was practically empty for all intents and purposes. The city had been destroyed, completely destroyed. All the walls had been pulled down. By this time, growth had grown over. There was vines over the walls and they were, they were, they were destroyed. There was really no point to even having walls. Jerusalem had become really nothing more than just a little country village that nobody wanted to stop at, nobody wanted to go to, nobody was interested in. Not only had the walls been turned down, pulled down, but the gates had been torn down. The gates had been destroyed by fire. They had been burned and turned to ash. For years, those gates had kept people that the Israelites did not want in their city out. The enemies of Israel were kept at bay. The people who wanted to harm Israel were kept at bay. But those gates that kept the enemy, they were destroyed. Houses were destroyed. Houses were desolate. And it's interesting to note, that 140 years Jerusalem had been like this. In 606 BC, the first wave of captives were taken to Babylon. This was in 606 before Christ, 600 years before Jesus. 20 years passed, and then in 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Another 50 years passed, and in 536 BC, the Jews were first allowed to return to Jerusalem by King Cyrus. This was now the king of Persia. 
Another 20 years pass, and in 516 BC, 516 before Jesus walked the earth, the temple was finally completed. And then 70 years after that, the book of Nehemiah starts in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. See, the book of Nehemiah, you've got to remember, is kind of like reading someone's journal. He's writing a diary of what he is experiencing. And his diary begins 70 years after the temple had been completed in Jerusalem. And here's the first thing that I'd like you to know today. Nehemiah was not a paid religious professional. He was not a priest. He was not a scribe. He was not a scholar of God's law and God's word. He was just a regular guy that was pretty high up in the government with a secular job. He had great influence. He had a great career. He had the ear of the king because he spoke to the king often. He was the king's cupbearer, the Bible tells us. He served the king his drinks. He also tested them in case the king was going to be poisoned by his enemies. So Nehemiah would test it first. And so the king and Nehemiah drank from the very same cup. They were very, very close. The king trusted Nehemiah implicitly because if anybody was going to poison the king, it was Nehemiah. So he was well paid and he was comfortable. Here's the thing. Nehemiah had made a successful life for himself. He's made it. He's living in the beautiful city of Shushan, working in the palace, living in the capital of the Persian Empire. If you could underline all of that, you would say that he has a life that everybody would be envious of. Everybody would want to have the job that Nehemiah had, to be live where Nehemiah lived, to wear the clothes that Nehemiah got to wear, to be in the presence of the king like Nehemiah was. But yet one report from his homeland about the state of his beloved city of Jerusalem and Nehemiah is a mess. One report about the condition of the walls and Nehemiah can never be the same. One description about how the people are defenseless and the people are living in poverty and nobody is looking out for them and nobody is caring for them and Nehemiah is broken. In verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1 it says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. He was broken. He mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. For four long months, Nehemiah fasted and wept and prayed about the situation that was in Jerusalem. And as I consider the age that this church is living in, in 2019, we are living in a world that is rebellious. We are living in a world that is unrighteous. But in addition to that, we are living in a world that is dark. And a world that is completely without hope. We are living in a world and in a town where spiritually now, the walls are in disrepair. 
The gates have been burned and charred with fire. And we are living in a town where people are hungry for the things of God. And people are hurting for somebody to show them some love. And people are spiritually dying. And I'm wondering this morning, do you understand why Nehemiah wept? Do you understand his tears? Do you understand what motivated him to seek God the way he sought God? Where are the Christians that are more concerned about the house of God than their own house? Where are the Christians that are more concerned about the work of God than their own work? Where are the Christians that are more concerned about the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of sand that we often try to build for ourselves? Where are the Christians who will cry, I don't want to be a cupbearer. I want to be a wall builder. Where are the Christians who will cry, I don't want to serve the king of Persia anymore. I want to serve the king of heaven. Because I'm here to tell you today, church, that our world, our community, our city, our family will stay exactly the same unless we can get some people who will pursue the purpose that God has saved them for. If we can get some people who get something into their heart and something into their spirit that says, I am going to pray for my city. I am going to fast for my church. I am going to intercede for God to do something in my building and in my church and in my family. If we do not do this, everything we know is going to stay the same. It is not until we begin to learn how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, let me give you some historical information here. This information that Nehemiah got was 140 years old. 140 years old. You know, that's like me telling you, hey, guess what? The American Civil War just ended. That's like me saying, Brother Stan, guess what? Captain Cook just landed in Botany Bay. That's like me saying, guess what? This is Queensland. The state of Queensland has just been formed. 140 years ago, these things happened. And these are great pieces of news, right? They're interesting. They're important events in history. But would we really react in such an emotional manner? If I went downtown and started weeping for joy because the state of Queensland exists, people would think I'm crazy because it has existed for 140 years. You see, there's nothing new and noteworthy going on in Jerusalem. It's been like this for a century and a half. Nehemiah. Shouldn't you have moved on by now? Build the bridge, man. Get over it. Why would you get so worked up? Here's what I believe God would have us know. People get used to the brokenness in Jerusalem. 
It's always been like that. It's always going to be like that. Nothing's ever going to change. This is the new normal. This is the new standard. And our city is the same. It has the same problems. It has the same issues. It has the same vices. It still needs Jesus today just as much as it did 50 years ago. Just as much as it will 50 years from now. But here's my point this morning. Nehemiah did not get any new information about Jerusalem. It's the same old information that he's always got. But what Nehemiah did get was a new burden for the city that he was living in. I can't tell you anything about our city that you don't already know. You know we've got a problem with youth crime. You know we've got a problem with unemployment. You know we've got a problem with this thing and that thing. You know we have a drugs problem in this city. You know that we have all these situations and problems. The answer is not new information. The answer is for the church to get on their knees and begin to pray and say, God, give me a fresh burden for my city. Give me a fresh calling for my city. Help me get fired up about what's going on in my town. Nehemiah did not get new information. He got a new burden. I don't want the condition of our city to be the new normal for us. I want to get a fresh burden. The information's not going to change. It's the same thing every single day. And tomorrow is going to be the same until as a church we come together in unity and we bind together and God begins to deliver a fresh burden to our heart to be able to understand that we can make a difference in this city. Just because things might be the same, I'm not going to let that stop me from praying and reaching and fasting and giving and sacrificing because I want a fresh burden for our city, for our church, for our families, for what God is wanting to do. Would someone just praise the Lord right now? I want to know... When people are willing to say, King, here is your cup of wine. I'm not, having you, I'm not helping you out anymore. I'm taking up a hammer instead. Because I've got a wall to build. I've got a city to restore. I've got some things that God has got in my heart that He wants me to do. Why don't we all stand this morning? This is my point that I want you to take away. I can't give you any new information. I can help you get new burdens. What I want to know is, where is the King David's? For 40 years, Israel had been under a carnal and corrupted king. One who only sought his own gain. The Bible tells us that when he was walking down, if he saw some good-looking young man who was strong and fit, he would conscript him into his army. Doesn't matter if the farm needed him. Didn't matter if his dad was using him as a carpenter. Too bad. You're in my army now because I've got to go get me some glory and get me some fame and get me some riches. 
King Saul was very happy to sit on the throne. Very happy to hold the scepter and say, look at me. I'm head and shoulders above everyone else. I am the king. I am important. You should all listen to me. But we contrast that with King David. King David, almost as soon as he is anointed, drops the scepter and says, right, get me a sword. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? We've got to find where God's presence is. Because for 40 years, King Saul had ignored the presence of God. He didn't care where the Ark of the Covenant was. It could be in Timbuktu for all he cares. But David got on the throne. He's like, I don't need the throne. I don't need the scepter. I need God's presence. Get me a sword. Where is this Ark of the Covenant? Let's go get it. Let's go find it. Let's go bring it home. Where are the King Davids this morning in my church? Where are the King Davids in God's church? Where are the Rachels? Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, lest I die. Where are you, Rachel? Have we just accepted circumstances? Resigned ourselves to the fact that the world will always be the same and we can't make a difference? Resigned ourselves to the fact that this is our church building and we're never going to go anywhere from here. Or are we begging God for more? God, we need more. God, we need to baptize more people. We need to see more people filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to expand. We need to grow. Because we don't have enough room for all the people that God wants to send us anymore. We're full. We need more. And I, for one, And begging God, God, you've got to make a way. God, you've got to give us more. God, you've got to send revival. God, you've got to answer prayers. You see, Nehemiah cared enough to ask, to weep, to fast, and to pray. And then ultimately, he cared enough to say, I'm going to turn my back on my secular job. I'm turning my back on my life that's very comfortable where everything's going to plan and everything's going all right. I'm going to turn my life on my back on the predictable part of my life and I'm going to serve God. I can promise you today that if you serve God, it doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. I can promise you today, you will have times when you wonder, why am I doing this? Because I've been there. I know what that's like. But I can promise you that if you give your life to God and you say, God, I just want to pray. I just want to fast. I want to see a difference in my life. I want to see a difference in my family. I want to see a difference in my church. Where are the Nehemiahs of this church? Are there any here this morning? I see some people beginning to worship the Lord. That's great. Let's begin to talk to the Lord right now. Let God begin to give you a fresh burden. How many people in your community do you know that are on their way to an eternity without God? How many people in your networks do you know that don't know Jesus? How can you get involved? Nehemiah didn't just pray. He didn't just fast. He didn't just weep. He didn't just ask, but he volunteered as well. Like I preached a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah did not just get saved and cleansed just so he could sit down and do nothing. But God had a purpose. He said, who's going to go for me? Who can I send? 
And Isaiah's cry, as incomplete as he felt, as incapable as he felt, was, here I am, God, send me. Why don't we just lift our hands right now from front to back, from side to side. I want us to begin to make a commitment. Because church, we are about to enter an unprecedented time of sacrifice, an unprecedented time of giving, an unprecedented time of serving. We are not going to get a bigger building by sitting back and going, well, someone else is going to do the work. Someone else will give the finances. We're not going to get the wall of Jerusalem built by just weeping about something. But it is when we get something in our heart that says, I've got a fresh burden and I am going to do whatever I need to do. I am going to give whatever I can give. I'm going to serve however I can serve. Let's begin to talk to the Lord right now. God, use us. God, help us. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's it, church. Let's begin to seek the Lord right now. Let's begin to seek the Lord right now. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us make a new commitment, Lord. But, Lord, more than that, I pray, God, that you would give us a burden to build, Lord God. It's not enough for us to sit back and think somebody else will do the work. Somebody else will sacrifice. Somebody else will give. Lord, you are calling us today. That's it, that's it. I want us all to pray right now. That's why I haven't said come down to the altar because God has a plan for everybody's life. Let's pray together. Lift your hands. Seek the Lord. God has got something for you to do in the kingdom. God has got a plan and a purpose. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's it. I see people seeking the Lord. I see some people kneeling. If you want to kneel, you go ahead and kneel. If you want to raise your hands, you raise your hands. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hush.